Welcome to the Future Construct podcast. I am your host, Amy Peck. And today we are talking to Ron Mann, who is the Vice President, Modular Systems at TD Industries. Welcome, Ron. Thank you. Glad to be here. So before we dive into your role at, at TD, which is which is a big and busy one indeed, uh, how did you get into this industry? And then specifically, it seems like you, you took a turn at one point, like more focused on data centers. Yeah, it's an interesting story. Um, I started out at actually Compaq Computers back in the day and uh, and, and kind of morphed into an HP bought Compaq. Um, I, I was doing a bunch of uh, new product introduction work, you know, bringing bringing new products, servers and, and things like that to the to the to the you know, obviously to the community and the, and the consumer. And then uh, there's an opportunity came up to, to kind of do this thing called a rack. We needed we started we we. We, uh, I don't know if you knew the history, but Compaq actually invented the first server, uh, you know, which was uh, server pro back in the day. And then we had this, one of these big customers in the uh, in the West. We said, you know, we're, we're tired of putting these big tower servers on these bread racks. What if we put them like in some kind of a rack thing? And so that's how the whole thing kind of got started. And we started, so we just turned this uh, the server around and put a different kind of bezel on it and put it in this rack, looked up a company who did industrial type racks, the computer racks didn't even exist back then. And then it just kind of went from there. And then we just started, we kind of created a whole product line and, and, and you know, it morphed into uh, first just standard racks. I mean, if you go back in the day, the, the racks even had, had uh, plexiglass on them. Uh, because the airflow wasn't a big deal. Uh, so it got into all sorts of things. And then we started doing, well, how are we going to power these things? We got into power distribution. What about backup? UPSs. And uh, it just kind of morphed into a whole business uh, for, for Compaq at the time and then, uh, then HP. So it was very exciting because we did a lot of what I think very innovative things. Um, what I've learned from all that is being on the IT side, we weren't doing this just because because we wanted to be innovative in, the, in that space. We did because we we're trying to sell IT, and the, the, the structure just didn't exist. So we had to, so we, what we did is we worked with select partners in the industry, whether it be a UPS provider, a rack provider, and help a lot of these guys. We we kind of got them started in the industry and really took off. And we just started developing these things and saying, hey, we need a we got a server that's going to come out. It's going to be doing a thousand watts. What? Oh my God! Well, we need a we need a power distribution system. We're going to put four of them in a rack. You know, and then we got then you got started by U size, right? And an interesting thing is, like, if you go back into the original racks, they had these big cathode ray tubes. Remember those? You know, the big tubes, the big screens. Well, everything and, was giant. That's exactly <laughs> right. And then and then uh, Compact came out with, uh, with one of the first uh, flat screen monitors for the PC group. And we said, hey man, what if we put that in a rack? So it's a two U device. You can fold it down and save four or five U to put more computer space in. And so that's the kind of stuff that we just did over time that became really interesting. It became a pretty big business for us. And then that eventually morphed into uh, basically modular. You know, if, gee whiz, if you can put a server in a rack, why well, can't you put it into a module and, and, and ship it all loaded? And so we did fully integrated racks, fully integrated uh, modules, uh, shipping to customers. We had customers that would actually come to our factories in Houston when I was at HP, we would load up this stuff with uh, all the IT in it. The customer would come in, load their software, and test it and validate it. And literally, it, it would go to the site, plug and play. Um, That's amazing. Got there. So, so it, it's a lot of first, a lot of industry first. 
very creative people. Uh, you know, I'll have to say that Compaq HP was probably one of the best jobs I ever had on the innovative and creative side. So it was, it was a great ride. That's great. Well, I think there's a couple of things. I mean, that's a great example of the need shaping the technology and the utility, right? Which I think is always the best approach. Um, but, but it was also, I mean, that had to be before people were really talking about data centers. We all talked about the cloud, but we didn't really even know what that meant, that it was just <laughs> the, you know, these racks of servers, you know, somewhere out in the desert or somewhere in Finland, right? That's exactly right. Yeah. That was the whole thing. It was a whole new industry, how they, how they created it, what we did with it. I remember, um, uh, we were sitting there and this is before, uh, even in, even in HP, cause we were an IT company, right. In compact. So we were, we were about it. We were worried about servers and storage. So even infrastructure wasn't always on top of mind, you know, how it was going to be, uh, how it was going to be uh, implemented. I remember one time our general manager at the time said, hey, we're, go- we're going to start doing integrated servers and racks. And their thinking was, well, I have all these boxes, of, you know, 100 boxes that come, all these servers, unload them, had to put them in a rack on site. Let's integrate it all on site. And we thought that was a great idea. But I'm thinking, well, we don't even have a rack can do that. How are you going to ship it? I mean, think about it. If you put a, a load of racks, a load of IT in a rack, it's a small car on four little wheels rolling around. Yeah. So we had to develop a whole a whole different technology on how to roll these racks around, how to integrate them so they, they would survive, and then take that one step further into the module, same type of thing. Uh, we did a, a bunch of those in a module. So all that just kind of had to be invented as, as we went along. So, you know, it was just, it was, you're right, but, but it, people just didn't think of it that way. It just, it was just a whole new world. And, you know, you mentioned cloud, and that's interesting because people didn't know what the, really what the cloud was. Or you, I remember going to industry events and everybody had a different definition of what the cloud was. It's sort of like kind of edge today, right? If you talk about edge computing, what's that mean? Or like anything, like like metaverse, everyone, and Web3. Like, no, exactly right. Exactly saying. right. You know, <laughs> but it, it all has a foundation. It all has a reason. And it's just how you apply it. My biggest learning, again, is it's all about the application. What I tell people even today is there's a lot of people out there who want to take something and do something with it to support data centers or construction or, or it would be traditional data center construction or whether it be modules, whatever you want trying to do. But the thing that I think a lot of people miss, especially if you're getting into this space uh, in a modular space, is application. If you understand the customer's application and what they're trying to do and make sure the infrastructure surrounds it, because think about it, the, uh, the IT... IT is just, it's, it's an ecosystem. It's the brain and, and, and the rest of the infrastructure being the rack, the power, the cooling, that's the body, that's the heart, that's the lungs. And all that has to work together. And the more you optimize that for the, for the use case, don't over-provision, don't under-provision, the, optim- it's, the cheaper it's going to be and the more cost-effective it's going to be, both to implement and to support. So not just, just by your history, obviously it's, it's clear where you got your geek stripes, but your geek stripes Really, 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 I think the origin story might be right behind you. Can you tell us a little bit about what's going on back there? Oh, uh, yeah, that's the uh, little model I did a while back, uh, USS Enterprise. It's a, uh, I've always been a sci-fi guy. Uh, so uh, I, I like to, you know, th- this world's pretty stressful at times. So when I, when I, in my leisure time, I like to get off the planet for a little while. And so I read a lot of sci-fi. I, I was a fan of this stuff back in the 60s uh, when it was on. I was just a kid then, but I just remember it. And you can't see it, but I have a Star Trek tree over here on the right in my in my home office. It's t- full of full of every Star Trek armor that's ever existed, um, and so it's just one of those things that I think because I do think if you look at some of the technologies that are coming out, even I mean, look, if you go back to the original Star Trek, the little uh, the little uh, plastic wafers that were that were supposed to be uh, you know for data. Look what we got now. I mean, yeah. cards, USB. I mean, it's all it's all there. Communicators, the you know the smartphone, the cell phone, it's all there. So it's 
it's uh, you know it, it comes to fruition. It's interesting how it parallels. Yeah, so, no, I, I, yeah, I totally agree with you. I think um, you know I I, I have a I, I talk about you know art imitates life and life imitates art. A lot of science fiction is the path that we take towards the future because it makes sense. Someone has kind of created. A, a visual cue. And I think Star Trek and, and a lot of science fiction movies, you look at the metaverse now today that, you know, came from Neil Stevenson's book in, in uh, the nineties. So yeah, I, I agree with you, but I think it's really interesting that I, I think that there are a lot of people today who are in the careers they're in because of Star Trek. And so that's I why totally I was fascinated agree. that that's back there. <laughs> I totally agree. It's, it's amazing. And, you know, and what's nice about Star Trek, it's not only because of the adventure and things, but it's just, you know, it's the, the vision of the future. You know, we take care of a lot of our problems. They don't have any sickness in the future. You know, no one's fighting wars like they do now. It's just, it's just amazing. You know, so that's an idealism. It may never be true because we're all humans and things are that way, but it's nice to strive for something better than, you know, than what we have today. And so I think that's another big message that, that those kind of shows do. Yeah, I agree with you. And then on the, on the technology side, I mean, data centers, are, are kind of everything right now. The, the level of data now that's going to be coming off of these next generation devices, you mentioned edge, uh, cloud compute, we have real-time rendering, we have NVIDIA being able to do, you know, like fully rendered cloud simulations. <laughs> I mean, it's it's mind-blowing the level of technology, but also the le level of data that, that comes with it. It, what you know, there's Moore's law, right? In terms of optimization, and you've probably seen all this optimization happening. You've been part of the optimization, but is there a point at which we fundamentally have to think differently about how we work with all of this data and this technology? And is it going to be the data centers that we know today, or are they going to are, are they going to be on a on a little wafer? You know, I think it's going to continue to evolve. Uh, what's nice about being in the data center space or the IT space is it's 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 always innovating. You know, it's always changing, and they're willing to take um, new challenges and sometimes risk on new technologies because they see where you know they have to continue to, to support this stuff. I think it's going to continue to evolve. Uh, I remember having discussions probably what ten years ago talking about you know like today even today if you look at a rack and I always like to go by watch or kilowatts per rack is the standard, but 10 kilowatts per rack or less is typically what a data center will support fairly fairly easily. And I remember having these discussions 10 years ago in these conferences about how it's going to be 20 kilowatts per rack, you know, by this time. And, it's, you know, it's still not. But what's happened is, and the reason why it, ha it hasn't gotten there yet, but it's getting there now, is because the IT industry continued to, to gain uh, innovation and efficiencies. I mean, if you go back and look at a thousand watt server, one processor, it may have only on using 30% of its power back then. Now it's using 95%, multi, you know, multi-node, multi-faceted, you know, NVIDIA, all that's like you said, all the also you know GPUs and CPUs. And so they're they're fully utilizing that space now that they weren't doing before. Blade servers is an example, all these things that have, have evolved. But now that limit's being reached. So I think the next frontier is going to be data is going to continue to explode, both for analytics uh, and, and 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 data crunching and, and memory and you know storage, all the things that we do. But I think the next really thing is what's what's the way to make it more efficient? Because we're still using air cooling on a lot of this stuff, and air has always been a good insulator. It's been a lousy conductor, but we keep using it as one. And the main reason is because that's how the whole thing got started. I mean, keep in mind, go back to the original discussion. Um, the server started out as a desktop and it was just, you know, hyped up desktop and it airs, everybody knows how to use air, but it just comes to a point where, you know, it's not, it's not as efficient. So you hear things about immersion um, uh, technologies, either single or dual phase immersion, uh, cold plate cooling on processors, all sorts of things you can do to, 
better remove the heat. Uh, mm-hmm. They'll use air, uh, but not a, not in the same manner. And I think that's kind of the next frontier. Power consumption is a big deal. Uh, whether you use green or just standard power, and how do you make it more efficient? And that's and that's where I think densities come in because actually in these modules, uh, some things that we're doing here at TD, you actually get more efficiencies uh, by going higher kilowatts per rack in a module than you do spread it out. I've had discussions with customers who say, "Hey, I got this application. I've got 20 racks. I want to put it in a module." I said, "Fine." What's your what's your uh, what's your you know typical standard you know watts per rack? I'll say oh seven or eight kilowatts. I'm like you know I can do that in ten racks or less and do it at 20, 20 55 kilowatts and save you a bunch of time and money and it runs better because it's more efficient. You know and so those are some of the paradigms I think that people have to rethink as they yeah. go through this. So it's not a matter of just taking a, a traditional data center thing and throwing it in a box and calling it a module. It's how is it optimized again for that application to make sure that it works like it's supposed to. And that's really, I think, the, the, the big, big thing as you go through it is how you optimize and be more efficient with these with these tools that we have that maybe just think about it in a different way than we've done before. That's great. I want to come back to this and maybe talk about some layering other technologies on, again, to even increase uh, you know efficiencies. Uh, but we're going to take a little moment and hear from our sponsors, and we will be back momentarily. And we are back talking to Ron Mann, Vice President of Modular Systems at TD Industries. So you've been talking about you know, the, the evolution and, and really optimizing and, and making uh, these data centers much more efficient, and that work continues. Are you seeing you know, AI being deployed and you know, I, you know, I've heard a, a lot of um, you know, balancing around uh, redundancies and leveraging AI to do that. You're saying some of these servers are at 95% capacity. How do you maintain critical uptime while offloading or managing compute? Yes, yeah, good question. And it, it, you know, artificial intelligence is becoming a lot bigger part of the, of the equation as people find better, more ways to use it. Um, the another thing you'll hear is is you know you hear edge a lot, and we talked about that earlier. But edge is also about it's really about data, a latency of data getting the data closer to the end user so that they don't have latency. And that's why edge comes into play. And edge means different things to different people. Um, for example, if you talk to a hyperscale guy, an edge data center might be a 40 megawatt data center. You talk to a small medium business, it's, it's 10 megawatts down the road, right? But it's all getting the data closer to the end user. And so what happens is in these, is these systems is, is they're optimized is what's, how do you back it up? How do you make sure that you have the uptime? A lot of customers today have, uh, have software redundancy versus hardware. So they might have two modules that are they're running, and if one goes down, they just switch it to the other module, right, or, or, or things like that, or other parts of the data center. So that's kind of an evolving way. So uh, there's a lot more software integration with the AI and the intelligence and what happens. Uh, one thing to uh, think, the thing about a modular environment is it, 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 the reaction time is a lot quicker. Uh, for example, if you're in a module and say you're running, I don't know, half a megawatt in a module of IT, it's all in enclosed space, right? And that's what I call closed loop cooling or closed loop, uh, closed loop uh, IT. Um, and what happens in that environment, uh, well, let's, let's, let's step back a moment and just talk about an example. Let's say you're in a conference room. You and I are in a conference room. It's built for, say, 15 people. It's just you and me. And it's in the summer in July here in Houston. Uh, if the power goes out or the AC goes out, we may not know it for a couple of hours because, you know, it's just two of us and it's built for 15, Right. Um, and that's sort of like how a data center operates, right? A data center can lose a crack or a cray and, uh, and still have enough 
enough cooling to cool stuff, and they're only seven, eight kilowatts a rack anyway. Now, if you're in a module uh, and you lose a, and, and you depend on your redundancy and N plus one, and you lose a, you lose a, a cooling, then it's going to start heating up pretty quick uh, because you're in that closed loop space. That's why it's more efficient. You're not cooling extra space. You're just cooling what the IT needs, right? And the analogy there is like if you're in a, you know, in a car going to lunch in here in Houston, Texas in July, and the AC goes out, we're going to know it really quick, and we're going to get out of that car. And so that's the difference. And so, so a lot of this has to do with how you react to failure, right? So you build in redundancy. N plus one, what's that mean? Uh, you know, what's your redundancy? Is it in your AC cooling? Is it in your communication? How do you proactively communicate what's going on in that environment so you can proactively account for it? Uh, like, you know, you're a, a, how, do you, how do you effectively change with the load of the IT? That's another big thing. When the load goes up, so you're running payroll at night, right? Or it goes down, you want to be able to match that with the, with the and that's how you optimize the same money. You want to optimize the infrastructure load with what you're doing with the uh, with the IT load. So you're not wasting anything, right? Don't over-provision, don't under-provision. Those types of efficiencies, if you do these things right, I think a key, key thing going uh, forward because you're not wasting anything. I mean, it's, 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 it's not overpowered and underpowered, you know? And that's where I think a lot of the innovation will come is how you optimize for that application. And how has, you know, blockchain and especially just like individual miners who are now putting racks of servers in their basement, and you kind of have to be in like Wisconsin because, you know, the heat generated from, from those, that is the probably the definition of inefficiency. Do you see that becoming productized? Not necessarily, you know, obviously from, from TD Industries, but I, I have seen companies that are starting to do you know, mining as a service, blockchain as a service, you know, how, how, how has that impacted the industry? Is that pushing things forward or because there's so much experimentation with individual miners, do you, do you see that there might be some dangers that we're missing? Yeah, it's interesting. I think it's an interesting time in that industry. It's, it's definitely in its infancy. Uh, my experience in that space is it's, you know, the miners are so expensive and, and <clears throat> how you, you know, they don't really want to pay for the infrastructure. That's why you see a lot of freer cooling and things like that in these modules and why shipping containers are used and modified. Is you're just trying to get something in there. And these things are going uh, full bore, you know, 98, 100% of, you know, utilization all day, all night. And so it's, uh, and so they use a lot of what's called freer cooling where it's just ambient air. And you're right, the, the part of the country you're in makes a difference. So I think a lot of people are finding that out, you know, like we've had people put those kind of things even here in Texas. And, you know, it's, it's a, you know, it's one thing when you're in the December weather here in Texas, it's another when you're in the, in the July weather of how those things operate. But I think it's evolving. Uh, there's a lot of interest now in, uh, in single phase immersion for crypto miners where you put it into a fluid uh, because it's more energy efficient. There's uh, the problem you get into with some of these miners, especially if they're using fans for the air coolings, they get really loud. Uh, when you you know when you think about these 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 modules can be one or two megawatts. Think about that one or two megawatts in a single module, and you've got you know 100 of those running somewhere. It can be pretty noisy for the DB yeah. level. So all that I think has kind of happened. I just think it's a little bit still the wild wild west in the in the crypto space, and a lot of things <laughs> a lot of things are doing. But uh, it's definitely a lot more. Uh, I think you know we've been doing it uh, the modules in the IT space, enterprise class space for probably 15 years now. So it's you know, we've done a lot of things. We tried things that worked and didn't work. Uh, but I think eventually the crypto space will have to come along somewhere. I don't think it will be as, 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 as redundant and sensitive as an enterprise class uh, uh, type of application would be. But it will definitely, I think, uh, come a little bit more towards, uh, uh, you know, the center of, uh, of redundancies and things like that. Because a lot of these guys don't even have redundancies or anything. They just shut down, you know. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. 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 Sometimes, some of them do it on purpose. So yeah. 
<laughs> the next, the next, there's some green energy. They'll do that. They'll actually get paid to shut down, right? So yeah. that's that's part of the model uh, that makes it attractive to them. So it's an interesting industry, uh, but uh, I think it's got a ways to go before it gets to a point where it's a little more mature and, and more standardized. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So let's let's uh, take a, a a little trip to the future before we close out here. I'm going to ask you the question that I ask everyone. If you could project yourself 20, 25 years into the future and you could bring with you any product or services that, you know, that would just make you or your life personally happy, what would it be and what would it do? You know, I've been thinking about that and there's a couple of choices. Obviously, we look back and think, oh, man, if I had a transport, I wouldn't have to drive drive anywhere. That would be pretty cool. <laughs> uh, but I think the other one, uh, as, I'm, as I get older, is, uh, again, the sci-fi thing is nanites. I would love to be able to take a pill or an injection of nanites that would just repair your body on the fly, keep it going, do this, do that, you know, and just uh, if you read any science fiction, that's a lot you'll see is how these nanites just repair stuff, right? I just and just keep it going for another 50, 60 years. So that would be what I would I would go for. That's great. Well, you're, you are going to get your wish. There's a lot of work being done on that uh, with the. Uh, digital therapeutics, digital pills that, you know, subcutaneous, just little chips that kind of monitor everything and release medications. So uh, you may get your wish before 20 years. Who knows? That would be great. (laughs) Ron, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your insights. It was an absolute pleasure speaking with you. Thank you very much. I enjoyed it. 